0: Well I want to thank Daniel for his very warm welcome and invitation. I, I forgot to tell you it's actually a duet tonight for Brian who's coming back up to sing with me. He doesn't realise that, but it's very easy to vouch people, isn't it? It's always easy to put other people forward. But anyway, uh, I would have to admit to you that I would say I'm a ball bearing singer. Have you ever come any ever come across ball bearing singers? I ball and you bear. That's how it would work. But anyway, it's a joy to be here tonight. I want to share a wee bit about uh, a wee bit about the work of GMSA, the organisation I represent. Uh, I have been connected with GMSA now, come up near the, just over nine years, and it's been a privilege to serve the Lord. We really work in three countries of Chile, Argentina, and Uruguay, but most recently with the privilege of travelling, ten of us in total, to the country of Chile. Just back uh, now, that may say about roughly October time, end of September, beginning of October. We're out for two weeks, ten of us in total, two ladies, eight men. The ladies we took to cook and the ladies did an excellent job and then the 10 men, we had a couple of builders an electrician, and a joiner and an apprentice and then the rest of them were just whatever they needed to do, they did and the goal was to go out to build a wee church in Santiago, a wee place outside Santiago called Perky I would love to I have newsletters in the process, they're virtually going to printers tomorrow morning and uh, if you don't mind I'll maybe stick a few in the post and maybe you might have some for yourselves, you can read them and see a few pictures uh, but It was a privilege to go out there. We went out initially to build it. The church that they meet in presently is eight meters by four meters, which is very uncommon for us, but it's not uncommon for folks in in countries that are less privileged than ourselves, such as South America or just such a place as where Robert has been this past week uh, or Bob has been this past week. And if you go to Romania, Ukraine, Ukraine, all these other places, they don't have luxurious buildings that we have. We are a people that are extremely fortunate and extremely blessed and the Bible tells us that, that, that those who that have been given much, much shall be required of them. That's what the Scripture says. But in saying that, we really went out to replace this wee building and build them a, a, what I'm going to call, we something called a lean-to. If you're from a farming background, you know what a lean-to building is. Well, that's really what it was going to be, a lean-to to an existing building, which would double up as not only as a, as a church for the believers to meet on a Sunday, but then also for the camp ministry that meets there at our camp center outside Perky. So then they would use it for camp meetings in the morning, for devotions, and the evening for devotions. Uh, and this, what we set out to be, was only meant to seat about 90 people. So that's a big jump from 28 people, the building that presently holds 28, to jump to 90. But then whenever we got there, they made the foundation slightly bigger. So it seats about maybe 140. So there's a big, they have a lot of room for growth, a lot of room for improvement, for which we're grateful for. But it, whenever we got there and we realized the size... And, and, and my, my builders were chatting between themselves And they didn't think that we'd get it built But with the help of God In roughly, I think it was Either ten and a half, eleven and a half days Because that's all you've got in two weeks By the time you take out your couple of days off Which are known as Sundays, days of rest uh, We don't take a Saturday off To go sightseeing We, have, we usually end up working And then uh, between you take your flights off So we rejoiced that with, not only did we We were able to get the wee church built And it was only a single brick a single wall, 2.5 meters tall, and uh, got around, uh, and also the the church, and then there's toilet blocks, and Sunday schools, the whole thing all built under the roof, so we were really grateful, plus all the wee jobs as well, and we give God all the glory. What I'm saying to you doesn't really describe all the work that the men put in, and all the work that the men did uh, during the time there, and I had the privilege of joining, and sort of leading that wee team, and going out, and, and, and being involved hands-on. And uh, I, I, I don't take me wrong when I say this, but I, I very much enjoy being hands-on. I really don't mind getting my hands dirty at all. I worked for a short time. I, was, I met a farmer, a good friend of mine, uh, from Brock and You know what Ballymenaway, like? they invented the 50-pence piece It takes a spanner to get it out of their hand. And uh, well, anyway, I, he said to me, Angel, oh, I'm in need of help. He says, I'm, I'm struggling to do all the work in the day and the week, and I need a help. I says, what are you, many days a week do you need? Oh, i would had somebody one day a week, he says, to clean out the buyers and, and, well, forgive the expression, but to move dung and all the rest that goes with farm. And uh, I says, well, what if I give you a hand one day a week? Well, he says, but you need to be here at six o'clock in the morning, he says, no bother, I'll be there at six. So for a wee while, we got involved. But I say that to you because it really, it doesn't worry me at all. I don't really mind getting my hands dirty one bit. I quite enjoy it, in fact. I find it very therapeutic. That's the why I buy chainsaws for a hobby. But anyway, I'm going to share with you tonight, I'm going to share a couple of things. I'm going to try and tie in the gospel, but at the same time, I'm going to share a wee bit with you. I really have felt that uh, 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 share just a wee bit of my story as to how I find myself, not so much find myself here but find myself primarily in the family of God. And and, and it's it's an immense privilege it is to be in the family of God. And I don't say that just flippantly or lightheartedly because I'm very conscious that there's times whenever I've sat in meetings in a backslidden condition. There was times whenever I sat in meetings when I was unsaved. And the Lord very definitely spoke into my heart very definitely challenged my life personally. But sadly, I would just drift and drift in and out thinking that there'd be loads of opportunities and loads of times to get right with God, uh, and then God would specifically just hone in upon my life. I grew up in a wee village called Money More, uh where I grew up and went to church and to Sunday school. We went to the wee congregational there, just the Methodist church next door to Mr. Swanson's, who owned the wee shop on the Turniface Road. I say that to you because we went to the church at half 11, we went to Sunday school half past two, we left the Sunday school at half two in the congregational, we walked down the road to the gospel hall half past three, and we did Sunday school there, so it was like half two Sunday school, half three Sunday school, and then back up the road again for a drop of tea at my granny's, and then back up to church most likely at half six to half seven, and then for something special on the hill, and unless you were from my part of the country, you wouldn't know where the hill's at. But Sandra will where the hills at, that, and that's the three peas in Mara Felt, and if there's something special on the hill, you went to there. So that was usually not every Sunday, by any means, or not every, once a month, by any means, but there were Sundays whenever I did church five times on a Sunday, and that was not uncommon. And really from a child, and I can honestly say this from a child, and it's lovely to see some of the children out tonight. It's great to see us here. Uh, uh, but really from a child, I was taught, instructed clearly, my way, the way of salvation. I knew that the Scripture taught. And in fact, I'm grateful. I'll say to you, I'm very grateful to the Gospel Hall. I'm also grateful to the wee, the Sunday school teachers, the ladies like Mrs. Swanson or Mrs. Uh, Olive Kells who taught. And I'm surprised women don't go bald and just be honestly teaching children in Sunday school and young people. I'm surprised they don't pull their hair out because, like, if you had characters like many fellows like myself growing up. Like you say yourself, what is the point? Because they're not listening or anything else. But anyway, uh, cutting a long story short, anyway, we went to the gospel hall. And there we were not only taught God's word, but we were paid to learn God's word, which was even better for a young fella. And they paid us money. Now, Imagine paying you money on a Sunday now to learn verses. I'm I tell you, it was the best incentive that I had. It was only 2p. Uh, but that was enough to buy two black jacks or two, black, or two fruit salads or one bubble gum and Mr. Swanson's up on the... So, so we got the money out of the Gospel Hall and gave it to the Methodists. Uh, and that's how it went every week. So we went from the Gospel Hall, they gave it to us, and then we gave it back to the Methodists and they did something else with it. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I say it jokingly to you, but later on in life, all those memory verses will be a purpose because later on in life, I would have to Bible college. Uh, whenever I was in Bible college, you'd have to learn blocks of 25 verses at a time and you learn 25 and then you say those 25 and then you learn an r25 and then you have to say all 50 verses together with maybe one or two mistakes and then you have to sign off that you said the memory verses and then you learn R25 and R25 and say that block is 50 one way off by one by heart and I, the first year whenever I was there, even before I got there, I had, had my I had 130 or whatever verses it was quoted off and said and signed off for. And I couldn't figure out why some people were struggling. And I found it, I'm not saying I found it easy, but it seemed to be a, there wasn't a wild pile of work to it. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't a wild pile of work. And the reason why there wasn't a wild pile of work to it was because years ago as a child, the gospel hall paid me to learn verses. And they give me a wee bit of it was a wee wee bit of paper, some of you might remember it, and there's a wee picture on it, and then there's just a wee text along the bottom, and they give it to you and said, There's your verse for this week, away you go and come back next week. And if you say it, that was it. And so I knew the word of God and I knew my need of salvation, I knew what I had to do. And uh, and it was a six-year-old boy when in Moneymore Congregational Church, we we used to have, before they had the new church hall or the church hall that they have presently, which Mark and Tanya would know well about. Uh, but uh, they used to be like an old wooden hut down the back of the, back, back of the car park and that's where the youth club was run and I think as well if my memory serves me, that's maybe even where prayer meetings were run but I remember being down there it was a midweek meeting along with my mother and father and I remember there was some missionary had spoken that night and all of that, I don't remember anything about the missionary said or what the point of the missionary was but all I remember was come home that night and I realized that I was on my way to hell as a six year old boy and I wanted to be ready. I didn't want to go to hell. And so I went up to my bedroom and I must have been, I was in tears. And my mother came up and, and she said, Nigel, and she must have said, Well, what's wrong? And I explained to her what the matter was. She said, Well, look, Nigel, would you like to get saved? And as a six year old boy, my mother led me in a very simple prayer. I don't remember any of the words, but what I do know is that my mother just sat beside my bedside and she bowed her head. And she led me in a very simple prayer, and I called upon the name of the Lord. I had nothing. That's no glamorous or no flashing lights testimony. But I'm going to say this to you folks, that whether, whether if I had been a drunkard in the street, it would have took as much grace to save that drunkard as it took it to save this young boy of six years of age. I would sadly, I would go through life, uh, get into teenage years, In the early adulthood years, and like all young fellows, come 16 years of age, there's only one thing that they want, and that is a license. Come 17, you get a motorbike license, but ma would ban motorbikes from about my house, so I saved my money to buy my very, very first car. It was a Volkswagen Beetle, it cost me a grand total of 130 quid. But if we woman and Mara felt she was given up driving? It was one point two duck egg blue, and it, and there were seven uh, seven months road tax left on her. So at that time, you claim back seventy quid because it was ten pound a month, and so that car then you can work out what that car cost me at full price, and that was my first vehicle, and she did me a par of good. I can tell you, I had some crack in her in Diddy's Corner and on the, the a greasy Sunday night, and I'll tell you no more than that, but the back wheel drive was good fun around the corner, as a young fella would do. But anyway, sadly I'm saying that to you, because as I would go through childhood, my friend and adulthood, my friendships would change. My companions would change. And then those companions would begin to go places that, that I knew I shouldn't be going to. But because that they were going there, why should I not go? Because they were my friends. And where they went, we went. We all went together. And so I started finding myself in, in the Royal Nightclub in Cookstown and then down to tracks in Port Rush. And, and, and I'm going to say to you folks, you would have thought I was the most happiest person of all those people in that nightclub. I I I never had a taste for beer or strong drinks or any of those things at all there was too much fear in my life to go down that route fear number one that, that I might hurt my mother and I'm going to say to you mothers you don't realise the impact that your life can have on your children I'm going to say fathers as well that's the case but especially for a mother there's a bond there there's something there that sticks deep in the heart of a child did for me now. And uh, so in many ways it kept me away from doing things that my friends were doing. But I remember, although I made it look the most happiest person there, I was the most miserable. And the reason why I was the most miserable was because there was a preacher that preached in a place called Bournemouth in a Baptist church. His name was Francis Dixon. And Francis Dixon said years ago, long before I even heard the statement read, was he said that the backslider is the most miserable man in all the world, or the most miserable individual in all the world. And the reason why they're the most miserable individual in all the world is because they're, they're stuck between one of two worlds. They know that the world has nothing to offer to them, so there's no point in going back to the things of the this world. But because of their rebelliousness and their stubbornness, they will not return to the Lord. And know the joy and the peace that he has promised for his people. And so because of that they remain miserable. I wonder tonight as you sit in the house of God. What is your condition? Like I was only a young lad. 16, 17 years of age. And I'm going to honestly say to you. I, you would have thought I was the, the, the center. I would have been like the, the one that clowned about the most. And fooled about the most. And people thought... You're the, the happiest of them all. But deep down now, deep down, why was that the case? Because as a young lad, as I trusted Christ, I have no doubt whatsoever the Lord saved me. But sadly, I, I, had, I had neither spent time in His Word. I had neither spent time praying. I had no interest in going to a prayer meeting or Bible study. And I just went to church as and when I had to go. And my heart couldn't be anything else. Years later, I would get married very quickly. But I'm just going to say this to you: Years later, I would get married, and I'd buy. I would. I used to be living in the north of Scotland, and Caris was living in the southwest of England. And every now and again, I'd send her a lot of flowers, and a wee bunch. And then I got married, and she said to me one day, she says, Oh no, she says, why, why do you really not send me any more flowers. And I thought, well, sure, if a man marries a woman and she sees him every day, she'd nearly be content. You nearly think she's happy, wouldn't you? Like she says, Surely most women don't realise how good a catch that they've got. Isn't that right, man? Don't realise how fortunate they are, how blessed they are every morning to, to see the man that they've thought they thought this was the one, this was the one. And I says, Nigel, no, would it not be nice sometime to a wee bunch of flowers? And what she meant was Going to Tesco's or some many places. So well, anyway, I went, I made a wee phone call and uh, this duck d- rap come to the front door and I saw Cars oh, there's something there. No, no, you go Nigel, you go. Cars she does not really she was very nervous. I No, no, you go, Caris. You never just have a go, you I'm busy, I'm busy. So she went and Chippers, hey, I never seen a woman's ears move as much, Hey, I never seen her because whenever a woman smiles, her ears move, you know what I mean. Have you ever noticed that there? And their ears raise up their head, anyway. And I could, see her, I could see her ears moving. And I said, she's happy. She's happy. But this is where I struggled in the very early years of married life. I really struggled to figure out the mind of a woman. This is no word of a lie now, folks. There's no word of a lie. Because, you know, whenever she turned around to this big bunch of flowers, she, she didn't say, Nigel, these are beautiful flowers. She did later on. She didn't say, oh, Nigel, that's such a great thought. Thank you for showing me your love. to work. You know what she said to me, don't you? He said, what do you spend your money for? Now flowers. And I'm saying to myself, I, I, I can a man not even one here? Can a man not even one? Anyway, I said to you, because I put those flowers them flowers in the vase. And they were grand for about a week or a week and a half. And about after a week and a half I noticed their heads were beginning to droop. And their leaves were beginning to fall. I says, Caris, what's wrong with And at those days, uh, you mean maybe we weren't maybe the most I don't know what you call them people that are great for home we we're not long unmarried so we're trying to make our way through you know? and I says I'm not sure maybe there's no water in the vase so let's go and check and lo and behold the vase was dry of water <coughs> the night you might be in this meeting house and that's just your condition it's not that you're not saved but your heart is just dry an old preacher called W.P. Nicholson said dried up like an old wart and because you've neglected the things that are vital for your spiritual growth and your spiritual well-being you've lost your joy and dare I say maybe even your peace now God hasn't moved but what about you? I had a friend that would be, sadly, get caught up in a cement mixer in Lees' yard in Markerfeld. He was a Roman Catholic, but it made no off- difference to us. Uh, but sadly, he was caught up in a mixer, industrial mixer, was rushed to Markerfeldt Middallster Hospital, and before he got there, he was in eternity. He was just slightly older than I was, and and I let one of she it really hit us as a group of lads extremely difficultly, difficult because we really couldn't understand why this would happen. So suddenly and so quickly. And I realised, as a young man, how quickly life ebbs out from our lives, how quickly life can just vanish. That's why the scripture says, Seek the Lord when he may be found. That young man sat with me and my mates in meetings, just like these meetings. He sat with me and all of my friends listened to the gospel just like you have let me listen to the gospel. But I'm going to ask you another question, some of you that are here and you're not a Christian, tell me, what about you? Because if God were to close His hand hand upon your very breath and you were to step into eternity, where would you be? I would... uh, God would, our tent mission would come to Mid-Ulster, Money more and at that tent mission, I was working away in a place called Armagh, and I was working for a firm that would, a building firm called the Henry Brothers that would, if I drove into golf barracks on Monday morning with a the van, then the military would pick us up in a helicopter in golf barracks, and then they would fly us and drop us into Kitty barracks in the border there. And then they would pick us up again on a Friday evening and, and then we'd get a van home again through to golf barracks. And uh, I remember these meetings come on and I remember wanting to go to these meetings. But I couldn't get because I wasn't able to leave the barracks. And I remember going along to one of the first meetings that I got to and my hair was slightly shorter than it is now. Uh, and <laughs> I remember coming in. I was running my own and I, I ended up I get stuck in the middle of the pew and... Uh, and there was this lady who was sharing her testimony, how that God had saved her to that day. And then she shouted, Hallelujah! Well, in the money more congregational, you don't shout Hallelujah now. Too. That's a wee bit too happy now. You don't shout Hallelujah now. That would be terrible if evangelicals, Christian people, shout Hallelujah. Why have we become, why have we become, folks, so uh, tight-lipped concerning the glories of the gospel? Why have we become so tight-lipped? Well anyway, I says to myself, "These people are a crowd of nutters." That's exactly what I thought. They're a crowd of nutters. We don't shout. Nobody shouts in money more congregational. Don't shout "Hallelujah" there. What are they shouting for here? But she was that glad God had saved her. sure there should be a gladness in our hearts that God has saved us. Saved us from. But someone says, "Out of a merry pit, out of a horrible pit, out of the merry clay." Set our feet upon a rock. You put a new song in our mouths, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and shall fear and shall trust the Lord. I remember going to those meetings and the Lord really challenged me. I remember the closing meeting and the closing hymn was I hear thy welcome voice that calls me, Lord, to thee for cleansing in thy precious blood that flows in Calvary. And God says, Nigel, it's time to make your choice. When I went out of the wee caravan and a fellow named Trevor Glanders led me in a very simple prayer. My friends that went to the nightclub the night before were sitting waiting on me an old Orange chevette. Some of you might remember you young people not have any clue what that was. You think that's some sort of foreign language, but anybody's my age and older know what an Orange Chavette was. And they were sitting out in the main street outside the sparring money more. And as I went made my way down the road, I seen my mother, my mother of all people come on running. Well not running, my mother doesn't do running, uh, but she was walking quite fastly. She was waiting. And she came walking down, and she simply she threw her arms around me, and this is all she said: "She said, Nigel, you're home. Thank God, you're home." And I knew exactly what she meant. And there's some of you tonight. Maybe you're not, Maybe you are young, and some of you are far from being young. Your days of youthfulness are gone. And tonight it's time to come home. Maybe your mother has gone. She's gone on before. A far better city, and you would long at even night that she might come and throw her arms round to you if you if you knew that she, you would come home. But anyway, I really had uh, very quickly because I realised my time was going, and I want to just throw, throw share we thought from God's word tonight. But I would then really, I left school with no one, no I had no interest in school, none whatsoever. I'm a uh, my, uh, uh, I'm a pathetic writer, pathetic reader just terrible altogether and that's all just down to pure laziness because I never went to school I didn't want to learn I just didn't want to learn I left school in fourth year and uh, secondary school and the best day was the last day and it was a half day that's all I can say about school that's the best thing that happened in Cookstown High School and I couldn't wait to get out but sadly it has come to bite me now later on in life and uh but I really felt this urge to want to study God's word and uh I was lying in bed one Sunday morning, and I was listening to my father. He always put the requ- request. You remember the, you know, the request that used to, you sent away, this wee letter, this boy, and he read out your name and a lot of songs and wished you a happy birthday? Well, this boy put the request. And I, I had a very posh radio in my house. My first wage went out and bought this digital radio, and you hit a button, and the digits run up to the next station. Like My dad just had the big knob, but I had, I had this posh. It was called a hi-fi in my bedroom and I had a button and next thing this boy came on and he was a preacher from somewhere and, the, and he said the word of God and he said these words laborers are so few and those are the words that God called me with laborers are so few I would apply for the faith mission Bible College in 94 na- I'd be around 94 yeah head off in 94 to Bible College and, uh, and do two years there at the faith mission and when I was there for those two years I'd meet a young lady from Yorkshire, her name was Jarris, and her uh, surname is Harrison. But in Harrison's in Yorkshire, they don't spell it the way we spell it, they actually spell it in Yorkshire S T U B B O R N. That's how you spell Harrison in Yorkshire, because uh, that's exactly what they are. They're stubborn as they come, I can tell you if you ever meet a Yorkshire man or a Yorkshire woman. But anyway, uh, so uh, anyway, my wife come from a non Christian home, uh, none of her family are Christians at all. And the only one that has become a Christian since we since I joined the family was her own mother. And uh, but uh, we would endeavour to uh, come together or just become friends at Bible College, and then I would decide I was going to ask her to marry me. I couldn't I had no money because that time I hadn't a big pile of money. We were living very. You were living. You were. I didn't have a. I didn't have a pile of money saved up. And my dad didn't have any fortune money, so I couldn't go and ask him. So I was just praying about it and asking the Lord, would you guide me? And I said, and one morning my devotions in a wee place called New and by the Sea, inside an old caravan that was sitting at the side of an old, an old caravan park along the side of England. And there was that many blizzards and one, I thought it was back in the cradle. The old caravan rocked me to sleep every night of the week. And uh, the Lord gave me this wee word, be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, for I, the Lord, I God, am with thee and be not dismayed. So I says, well, Lord, if you've said to do it, then it's time to do it. So anyway, I went to propose to her and I thought, how am I going to buy a ring? I've heard got two peas, two pennies to rub the other. And out of the blue, this man sent me a cheque in the post. And he sent me a cheque for a thousand pound. A thousand pound? Don't you think for one when my wife was ringing her hand at a thousand pound? I can assure you, there's no way. But that gave me enough money to sell us some money, a wee bit of money aside. If she does say yes... And I buy her a wee ring. Went away and bought the ring. And she come to Northern Ireland. I went to the Lodge Hotel up in Coleraine. I'm going to be very quick here. And I said, for a quiet corner and a candle. Stuck me right beside, you know the door? The boy walks in with the the meat And the door flaps in the door. And every time I walked by, the door flapped. And every time the door flapped, the candle nearly blew out. And uh, every time I went to ask the question, the door would flap again. And eventually I asked the question. I said, would you marry me? She said, And so we endeavored to set up a big company. And then the first question somebody asked, well, how are you going to pay to get married? My mother-in-law, virtually, my mother-in-law was a grafter. And I mean a grafter. But people say you work hard, you make money. That's nonsense. That is nonsense. There are a lot of people out there that work hard lives and have hard, hard hardships and lives and work long, hard hours but do not necessarily have loads of money about them. And my mother-in-law was such a woman. So it wasn't the fact that my wife, family was, my wife's parents, her mother her father passed away, it's not as if she was able to just pay for our wedding, so we knew that God would have to provide, now I'm going to tell you very quickly how that happened, a man come to me one day and he says, Nigel say, or in fact, a man who led my wife to the Lord, his wife said to Kiara, we would like to do something for your wedding she says, what's that, she was a, one of them people that's so seamstress, she said I would like to make your wedding dress for you well that's we had Kiaras said two friends are unsaved they said, we would like to buy your wedding cake for you. Now not that lovely? That's lovely. Went looking look on these wedding cars and these old things, and they were, to me, like old jalopies, and they are looking a clean fortune for them. And then a friend of mine had one of these big Mercedes-Benz with double glazing and TV screens behind the driver and past your seat, and he says, I'll drive you to the wedding uh, the, the, from the thing. Great, I says, that's brilliant. And he says, what else is there? there? Oh, we went looking for a place to eat a bit of grub, and they're looking for 30-pound a head. Your head's cut 30 pound a head. Some of these people I'm never going to see again in my life. You must be joking. So ben and I says, I'll give them 30 pound a head. So I found this wee place, 12 pound 50. That's the spot car. That'll do us the very best. And you had, a, you had a lot of money for diluting juice. I says, give them water. Do them all right. <laughs> and you know I'm going to tell you? The wee gospel hall my wife grew up in. She's her, her, their folks. We didn't know anything about this. But there, these folks in the We gospel hall said we're going to open up a wee count and the account's going to be called Nigel and Caris's wedding account. Do you know something? The day we get married and the day the bill come in to pay, how much money was in that wee wedding account? The exact money that that wedding reception cost us. The exact money. Then went to this boy. This boy said to me, "We were home here in Northern Ireland." This boy said to me, "Come and see me." I says, "Great, no bother." will come and see. So He's sat in his office, and anyway, he says, "Where are you going on your honeymoon?" I said, "I'm going to take her to the Lake District." tell you ever been to the Lake District?" "Sure, it's beautiful." "Great," he says. "You know where I was at?" I said, "I was in Canada." "Well, more party, more party." I hope you enjoy. It. She's had a great time. She said, "It was great." "What's your way? Would you be envious of a man going away with anybody?" "This is what's wrong with us, folks. We're a while, envious of people maybe get away further than we get." We nearly have a chip on our shoulder that we have we're not as well, he says to me "We, I went, oh that's just great and you had a good time, lovely, well that's lovely so where are you going, he says I'm going to make this well he says tell you what I'll do to you. there's a phone number he says and that's the phone number of a travel agent and he says they're going to know you're going to be ringing you and Karis away and chat about it you tell them, you work out where you want to go on your honeymoon and I'll buy the tickets <laughs> I said to Karis, if Canada was good for him it's good for us, <laughs> simple as that And that's where we went to. To to Toronto on our honeymoon. Had no money to pay for the reception. No money for anything. Not a a penny, folks. I'll tell you this. Folks, I'm not saying this that you might think that I'm some... This is nothing to do with me now. This is all because of the goodness of God. In ever leading me to repentance. This is the goodness of God that brought my wife to repentance. This is how God cares for his people. And I'm sure if you were able to stand here tonight and testify, you would look back over your life. And that's all I'm doing, just taking wee snippets and looking at over my life and saying, this is how God has met our need. I didn't go asking for anything. I didn't go to the man and say, oh, you were in Canada. Buy me a ticket to Canada. I'd like to take the wife. I never, I've never had to go with a bowl anywhere. Because you know why? Because I believe that God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. He knows what we need. Went to get measured up for the final measure up for the suits, and, all, and to, to this day, we even know a paid for the suits, but I better not say that publicly because this place in Coleraine, I think they've gone out of business. But it wasn't due to us. But I'm nearly sure they're paid for it anyway. But it's 25 years ago, so there, there's not much hope now. But this woman, she walked up and says, Nigel, this couple walked up and says, Nigel, there's some money, and that's only for your honeymoon. £600. At that time, the dollar was $2 to a pound, that was $1,200. And not only did God provide for the wedding, but God provided for the flight to Canada and he provided the means that we were there. And yet there was many things, folks. I say this to you because whenever we... We, we were one of the first ones around my age group. I didn't know how many people had these wedding list things. You know, we nowadays like it's all just normal, but we went in this big shop called Debenhams in New York, over in England somewhere... And they give you this laser thing. And whatever you want, you just point it out hit the button. Pointer and pointer. Whenever you'd like somebody to buy, you hit this thing. And then there's this big list that comes out. So anyway, people from Northern Ireland, hadn't it clear what Debenhams was? Not an ocean. So they just bought whatever. They took an ocean of buying. Seven sets of cutlery. That's how many sets of cutlery the wife and me got. Stopped on her wedding day and I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this seven sets of cutlery. Either I'm going to, God's going to give us a massive big family or else we're going to be using cutlery to the day we died. Do you know what I'm going to tell you? God didn't give us a family. And I have to say to you folks, maybe it was one of the hardest and most difficult hurdles that my wife and I, maybe more so my wife and more so me now as I'm getting older, that I ever had to face or that we ever had to face. Because sometimes, folks, life doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to work out. My wife always longed to be the mother. Yet that wasn't to be. And we tried different avenues, and the door just kept closing and closing and closing. And every time it closed, it just seemed to close harder and harder. And it seemed to be one of those pills that seemed extremely Hard to swallow. But then God hasn't always promised us uh, beds of roses. And that's why I would say to those of you who are parents to cherish the fact that you have been, even though I'm sure if your son was anything like, whenever I was a son growing up, there might be times you might be tempted to pull your hair out and all those other things. Uh, But all I'm going to say to you is that it was one of those situations in our lives where one of those times in our lives where where we found it extremely difficult. And I'm not going to say it was days. I'm not even going to say it was weeks. I'm not even going to say it was months. I'm going to say it was years before we really just tried to come to terms. And even there's times to this day where still we struggle with the fact that my name, I will never have the title of father or daddy. And I have now my sister-in-law now as a granny. <laughs> and those titles will never be ours. But yet, has God been good? <laughs> he has been very good. I want to leave with you a wee story about. My mother-in-law was uh, she said she was the Church of England. I never knew her to go to church at all. My wife had prayed for her from the day she got saved so my wife wasn't saved that long till her father was diagnosed with cancer he passed away very suddenly and it was a massive massive thing because my wife and her father were like best friends her mother Margaret whom I one time was going to buy her an electric chair for Christmas uh, but somebody thought it was the wrong type of electric chair somebody was in the mind that it was going to be a recliner when I was buying it was no recliner I can tell you and, uh, but I had a unique relationship with Margaret. Not that I ever called her mother, but she just took to me from day one. And she just took me into her house as if I was her own. And yet we prayed and we prayed and we prayed on top of all the prayers that Karis had prayed for her mother, uh, all those years that she had prayed, and it seemed to be the more we prayed, it seemed to be the further she got away from the things of God. Or any interest in the things of God. We'd sit and we'd talk to her. Margaret. Is it, do you not know that you need to be saved? Aye, but, but sure I am a Christian. Sure I go to church. When, when do you go to church? Mark? Well whenever I was younger. Well well, what is a Christian? Uh, uh, somebody that goes to church. And it's just like as if. Completely blind spiritually. Cutting a, long, cutting a long story short, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, was rushed into hospital with a perforated bowel and cancer in her bones all through her. And uh, my wife would go over early and then I would make my way over in holiday time at the Christmas period. In fact, it's just it's 17 years just past there on the 31st of December when she passed away. And two days before she died, her charis and her two sisters went to see the doctor and the doctor says, look, I mean, what, what can, you want to see what we can do for your mother. And they said, Look, there's nothing we can do for her. But my wife said, Look, you can't turn the machine off because my mother's not ready today. Not ready today. Whenever I was sitting in that wee ward with Margaret, I, Margaret asked me this question, Nigel, will it be long? And I knew what she meant now. Me. And I says, Margaret, it'll not be long. I says, Margaret, would you not like to get ready? She said, Nigel, I would like to get ready. And just two days now, before she died, my heavenly father was merciful to my mother in law. And that day I said to the Lord, if I never lead another soul to Christ, this to me is the most precious thing of all, so that my mother in law is in your presence. Some of you sit here tonight and you're not saved. And you don't realize how precious your soul is. In fact, in the book of Amos, Amos said these words, prepare to meet thy God. Preparation is something that is extremely, it's something that you can identify with no matter what your age is. Some of you are going to get up in the morning and go back to school. If you haven't already been to school, some are going back to school or maybe you go back to university. And you know the preparation that goes about in getting ready for school. We know the preparation is necessary for the beginning of life, whenever we're expecting, we just heard this morning the announcement of We Child coming into the world, the preparation that those parents have made for the coming of a new life into this world. I do a little bit of visitation with the church in Ballymena and I have the, I have the privilege of sitting with loved ones and family members who have passed from this world into the next world, great eternally. And the preparation that that family and those families must go through in those days, hours and days that are extremely difficult because the one that they're making the preparation for is the one that they cherish, the one that they love, the one that they really don't even want to leave them, but sadly they can't keep them. And the scriptures is clear, folks. There's a day of death appointed for us. In fact, the Scripture says it's appointed on to man once a day, And you you can stem the flood, you can stem the day when that day will come for you, dear soul. Because you don't know when that day is going to come for you, or I don't know when that day is going to come for me. We turn on our news on a daily basis, and we we have become accustomed to death. We hear of deaths in Ukraine, and sadly it doesn't affect us because I don't know the people. We lift a newsletter, the telegraph, and we see of people of all ages dying, and we feel sorry for the families. We feel moved with compassion, but because we don't know them, we just get up on our better business. And then one day, death comes knocking closer home. And one day, my dear friend, death will knock on your door. Are you sure about that? Statistics say one out of every one dies. So it's coming for you as much as it's coming for me. That's why, dear friend, you need to prepare. And as a young lad growing up through Mid-Ulster in Moneymore, there were a number of wee thoughts and I know our time was gone, but listen, I'm not um, that verse is the only verse I'm going to leave with you in the book of Amos. But I'm going to say to you, there are a number of things that I realized as a child that were cons- vital for my preparation to meet God. Number one, I knew God desired it. I knew that. Because from a child, I was taught that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You did not have to convince me in any shape or form that God loved me because I knew what the Bible sought and I believed that the Bible was truth. Tell me, are you sitting in St. Field Baptist tonight unsaved? Do you question God's Word? Do you question the Bible? You say you do not. Maybe some of you might say, well, I'm just not sure if it's all truth. Well, I'm here to tell you today it's all truth. From Genesis to Revelation, you might not like it, you may not like what it has to say to you, but it's all truth now. Now you may not accept it, but that doesn't question the fact that it's truth. Because it's the what we believe is the infallible word of God. It's indestructible, and because it's God breathed, that's why it's truth. Because the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Impossible. Now, you and I can lie very easily. We can lie to our parents, you can lie to your elders, you can lie to your school teacher, you can lie to yourself. But you can't lie to God. He doesn't lie. And I knew, folks, if I was ever a prayer, number one, I knew that God desired it. The reason why I knew God desired it, because in the book of Peter, it says these words, that God is not willing that any should perish. Get that. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <laughs> so tonight, I want to, may the, the word of God, yes, surely we'll it, will convict you. If you're not a Christian, But tonight I trusted in some ways it will comfort you because this means that God does not want you to perish. He doesn't want you, He's no desire in the death of the wicked, there's no joy in it. But how long would you come? And my dear friend, what a better way that you could start 2024 than in the family of God. Like, for how long are you going to halt? For how long are you going to be indecisive? For how long are you going to tarry between one of two decisions. You know, th- th- this is it. It's, it's not complicated stuff now. I, I'm not, I don't believe myself to be complicated. It's simple. There are two ways. One way is the broad way. The other way is the narrow way. There's two ways now. And you can't be on both ways at one time. I'm heading back to Markerfalt tonight. Well, there's no point in me heading south to try and get up north. You say you're wasting your time never going to get to Tubbermore if you head toward Cork. And never you are. Don't care how good a man you are. You're still you're going to end up in Cork. You're going to have to turn the car. Somewhere along the way, I'm going to have to do an about turn. You know what it's called? It's called repentance. And my dear friend, for you to see a, a change in your life in, in 2024, dare I say even tonight, God <laughs> calls you just as God called me and just as God called every man and woman in this building and every child of God throughout all the world, to a place of repentance because he said, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. But yet he doesn't want you to perish, he wants you to come. I realized, my dear friends, that God desired it. I realized also through my days in the Gospel Hall that the beam of seat demanded it. You say, Well, what do you mean by the beam of seat? Because well, the Bible tells us in the day of judgment there are two judgments, just as there are two roads, so there are two judgments. One is called the Bema Seat, the place where believers will be judged, not for their sins now, but for their deeds and for their words. And the other judgment is known as the Great White Throne, the book of Revelation. Those who stand at the Great White Throne, there's only one outcome at the Great White Throne. And the the only outcome at the Great White Throne is something this, my dear friend. It's these words, Depart from me, you cursed, and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Yes, that's very hard. But remember now, dear friends, in life, time of grace, God called you. And He called you. And He called you. And He called you. And for some reason, you just kept going on thinking there'd be another time, there's another opportunity. But what if God stopped calling? What if heaven became silent to you? What if you came to St. Phil Baptist as regularly as you're coming? Sunday after Sunday, boost services boost Sunday, and yet it seemed to be that every time you come in, the Word of God seemed to wash off you the way the water walks, washes off a duck. What's the Scripture say? The Scripture says, My spirit shall always strive with man. So what does it tell me? It tells me that the Spirit might strive today, But if he stops thriving, opportunities are gone. That's why he says today, if you hear his voice, harden not his heart. And I knew that as a child and as a young man, that if I wanted to be at the Bemis that meant that the place where I would be accepted in the presence of God, I must trust Christ. I knew it because he desired it. I knew it because, my dear friends, the Bema seat demands it. I knew it, thirdly, because Scripture declares it. And, and this is the truth, the wonderful truth about the gospel. God declares it now. He wants you to come. Matthew 11, come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to what he, uh, uh, John and Jesus said in John three. He said, "Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Listen, our time is gone, but I knew this great truth, not just because. Of what we stated here already uh, in this particular portion of Scripture in preparation, not only because God desired it and the Bema Seat demanded it and Scripture declared it, but I knew it because my soul needed it. And my dear friend, your soul needs it tonight. I have sat in many hospitals and watched doctors and surgeons from a distance. I really don't know any doctors or surgeons, well, surgeons especially. But if you knew a surgeon, you might ask him some very important questions, like if he was somebody who was very, very much into surgery, you might say, well, what's it like to hold the human heart in your hands? A friend of mine an ex-member here, David Henderson, his sister in law is waiting on lung transplant, a double lung transplant, and somewhere along the journey, for her to have that, someone else must give their must die. So some surgeon is going to reach into another lady's lung or body and lift out those lungs and place them into her body. As a lung transplant. Surgeons can work with kidneys and all these different things. But there's one thing a surgeon or well, the human eye will never see, or a surgeon will never find, and it's called the human soul. You never see it. But there's one day, my dear friend, that soul could be lost. And the reason why there are gospel meetings on a Sunday evening in St. Field Baptist Church is that you would be wise. The scripture says it is time to seek the Lord. Not tomorrow, but today right now it is time to seek the Lord tell me what about you this evening would you not like to seek him see I know I'm a sinner that's a good start you know there's a saviour I do you know they come to save you I do then my dear friend what are you waiting on Salvation and knowing salvation for yourself personally is acknowledging you're a sinner and being willing to repent of it. Realizing that Christ, when He died on the cross, He died for your sin. And in simple faith, you take Him, ask Him to be your Savior, and take Him to be your Lord. You can do that tonight now, my dear friend. Or else what you can do When those doors open and the outer doors open you just get up you just make your way out and get in your car and you think maybe another time maybe another day maybe another opportunity but what if this time is your last? The prophet said Prepare to meet your God. Let's just bow for a word of prayer. We're not going to sing tonight. Our time is gone. But we're going to just bow for a word of prayer. And I'm going to say this to you now. I would like to think that I was approachable. If you would like to talk to me, or dare I say maybe some of the elders here, at same field that you would know better than me. And I'm going to say, you know, you make a point of going to talk to them tonight if you know that you're not ready. But we're here, and if we can help you, we want to help you. But don't be foolish. Don't just keep going on carelessly thinking, someday I'll sort it out. Someday is today, my dear friend. And tomorrow never comes. Our Heavenly Father, we bring this service to close this evening and we're grateful for help and for your presence with us throughout this day. We're grateful, Lord, for this first Sunday of a new year when we have been consciously aware that God has been with us. And Lord, we're humbled by that fact today. We are greatly humbled. We're humbled to think that the God of heaven, our maker, our creator, our sustainer, has been pleased to... To, to be one of our number and that we have experienced your presence with us. We would long tonight, Lord, we believe that you're also not only a God who is with us, but a God who is speaking. And you've spoken to us as your people, and Lord, you've spoken to the unseen. And we would long tonight, Lord, that some soul would be wise and would call upon your name. We ask as we separate as we go to our own homes, pray that most of all that we may go in the spirit of prayer even as we would pray for maybe someone we know that's sitting beside us or behind us or in front of us longing to see that breakthrough in their lives and them coming to trust the Savior. So Father, accept our thanks now as we enter into a new week uncertain of what it holds for any one of us but we thank you when we're your children nothing Absolutely nothing is going to happen by chance because you're in control of all things and we can trust you. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, the Lord bless you. Thank you for your time and your patience. It's been a privilege with you today. And uh, I know I might make your wonder very short, but I say that to you in trusting that even today that as we had an opportunity around this word, that it might have spoke to your heart. Please, my dear soul, if you're here and you're not a Christian, it is time to seek the Lord. God bless you and good night to you.